everybody. I'm Casey Forbes. And I'm Sarah Cuvion. And welcome to Let the Good Crimes Roll. And this week, we are kind of back in Louisiana. I mean, that's where the death took place at, Mm -hmm. but it's about a girl from Alabama. But before we dive into it, Sarah, do you have any updated news? Anything you want to share? I'm putting you on the spot. I was going to say, I didn't know we were doing this segment first. I'm kind of dragging today because... We got back late from New Orleans last night. I took Livy to see the musical Six at the Sanger Theater. Was it good? It was phenomenal. Y'all are all about some musicals, oh, and we, I don't ever think about them. We, I will, I like subscribe to like like the Broadway on New Orleans kind of thing. It's mm-hmm. it's the Broadway tours that travel and they usually come to New Orleans. So I, I know which ones are coming and I know which ones I want to see. And mm-hmm. we, I mean, we love going, but it was just me and her last night. Yeah, and I was kind of nervous because New Orleans is not the greatest area and right I do not like driving in new orleans at all it's yeah. the worst to me but so it was just me and her and i was really nervous and but we didn't hit in traffic we found a free parking spot and it was like right next to the theater and we found a subway that she wanted to eat at so like everything worked out perfectly well that's great and the music the musical itself was just really really good okay well good it was fun she had she loved it of course so i know she's so like fancy (laughs) like she is but then she isn't at the same time (laughs) right (laughs) well i don't have any updates no 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 new animals or anything no no new animals let's let's do a count of what you have at the moment so we have we have three dogs one is 13 and i hate to say it like this but like we're kind of waiting for her to die because she's so old and old and she's she's blind blind. yeah and then we have that's and then rosie and tootsie are my other two they're rescues we have i have uh winter who is the cat that we rescued yes we just winter just made an appearance and she's beautiful yeah someone found her in a dumpster she was covered in ringworms and i've never dealt with ringworms before and i refuse to deal with them ever again (laughs) because at the same time that we have winter, like I had her quarantined in a crate yeah, in my sunroom. Well, I also had a foster kitty in that room and they couldn't get to each other, but apparently oh. ringworms can spread in the air. <gasps> so he has them now. Oh, so we got her cleared. No. Now he has them. So he's in quarantine. Oh no. And I didn't know that it could go through the yes, air. Because I was like, I don't understand how he got ringworms because they had no contact with yeah. one another. I just don't. And the girl that that works for the rescue she's like girl if they're in the same room as one another wow. they can get it Who so knew? i did not it's very so we're fighting with that no none of the humans have gotten it thank god and i'm i think zoe might have it because she's in <gasps> oh, she no. was in the room so i got it i'm treating her for it too other than that we have i have my two tortoises tim yes. and lucy and then i have we have three bunnies yes but the tortoise wait you have the, three bunnies yeah we got two that are in like bunny or outside bunny cages yeah um, and then we have Roxy that's inside. Roxy, the one that's inside. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, we have a menagerie. Yeah. I love it. That's like it exactly what we dreamed of when we were growing I know. up. You know, just know. having like a truckload of animals. And we do. And we do. And my husband reminds me every day. <laughs> Because I like working in the rescue. Like, I like doing rescue stuff yeah. that you can foster and adopt out. But it's like, you have to get rid of some before we. And well, I'm like, well, I'm not. I've made a commitment to these animals. <laughs> Sorry. But that's pretty much it. That's my little my little farm. But anyway, so, and I can see now I had left my, my laptop open. And I'm pretty sure Winter jumped on it. Because I see some zeros just across. <laughs> I hope she didn't delete anything. 
Okay, so we are covering, it's called Swamp Murders. This is season one, episode three, Gospel Girl. I found it on Discovery Plus. I don't know if it was originally Investigation Discovery. Mm -hmm. It had Investigation Discovery written all over it. So the guy that they chose to be the narrator has a very creepy voice as far as he just says some things that a child molester might say. He's like, oh, you got a pretty little voice. Ew. She had a pretty little voice on her. And he said, like, the narrator Uh. says that and it's like, the narrator says that? Yeah, because he's supposed to be... I mean, these are swamp mur- murders, so it's supposed to be like some backwoods Even country. Still. Yeah. Is he almost like makes you think of deliverance oh, the way his Lord. voice works? Yeah. Oh my god. Really crazy. So it's September 1980, and we are in Dulac, Louisiana. Hey, that's where Daniel, his family had their first fishing camp was in Dulac. Oh, well, someone found a dead body there. Yeah, I'm not surprised. But it was long before any of us were born. Yeah, so. Okay. But they say, oh, the Louisiana heat makes the bayous extra unbearable, which makes it a perfect place to kill someone and just drop them off. And I'm like, you clearly have (laughs) not met a Cajun man, okay? Because they say that and then right after, but there were two fishermen fishing. I was going to say, like, deathly heat is not enough to stop a Cajun man from going fishing. No, it's not like there is an uninhabited area. Like, people are all up in there fishing and doing stuff. So, lo and behold, two fishermen fisherman at the end of September discovered the decaying remains of a young woman. She's partially submerged. She's completely naked. And she had clearly been there a few days because her body was pretty badly decomposed. She was swollen. And of course, like all the wildlife had been eaten on her, of course. What would you do if you actually found... Because Liv and I have this thing, like she says... Like, if you ever see, like, a trash bag on the side of the road, she's mm-hmm. like, what if there was a dead body in there? You just don't like, open You just it. don't know. Like, the body bag. That's what we call them. Like, we see, like, trash bags on the side of the road. We're like, we just oh, leave it there. Body bag. I don't want to know. I don't. Like, as much I as we like- talk about this, I think I would actually freak out. Oh, of course I would. I would lose my mind if I actually saw a dead body. Yeah. I, yeah. Ooh, no. <laughs> I would, it, you know, they've got that fight, flight, or freeze. Yeah. I'm the freeze. Yeah, exactly. But, uh, it was good. <laughs> it smells so bad. I think it would be the smell that would get me. Right. You know, because oh. when you hear when you hear people talk about smelling a dead body, yeah. they're like, it's a smell that it's you a distinct smell. It punches apparently. you in the face. Yeah, yeah. it's I don't not a, smell that. a light breeze up your nose. <laughs> it's straight up a punch in the nose. So the woman had a nylon cord wrapped around her neck, and on the other end of it, the other part of it was wrapped around a cinder block but it's the swamp and it's pretty shallow yeah they're not very deep right so that plan just like i mean you can tell the initial plan was probably to just oh we're gonna throw this cinder block out and she's gonna sink and it went (laughs) and she like stood up and was like wow what can i come out now are you are you done with your with your trip okay but anyway so the detectives do notice that there's a single earring in her ear and it's a white dove and at this particular time in this particular area they immediately knew that she had to be like associated with a motorcycle game oh like we're straight up in roadhouse okay Okay. with this yeah i didn't expect that turn oh yeah we all up in the in the bike gang with this so the woman's body is taken to the medical examiner examiner and there were no signs of any sexual assault but she was strangled to death because i guess the cinder block (laughs) didn't work (laughs) and we're not laughing at the fact that it's the fact of how ridiculous it is were they trying to like kill her with this under block or just get rid of the body with this under block they were trying to because we're gonna towards the end we get a confession and okay. we learn the point of the cinder block and it's pretty stupid okay yeah okay like somebody should just hit these people with a cinder block they're so dumb <laughs> 
police are, you know, they start to question the local biker biker gangs and like they get no answers. Now, at the time, forensics weren't very sophisticated. Like there was no DNA database that you just stick it in. This is 1980. So. Right. And so in Washington, D.C., they were able to put like her fingerprint into like to be analyzed and see if anything pops up. But the question remains, how do we get that fingerprint to Washington, D.C.? So the logical answer is you just cut her hand off and mail it to Washington, D.C. And that's what they did. What? I'm thinking like you could. But you couldn't just get like a a fingerprint and like stick it in the mail. No, girl. They took a hacksaw and and the medical examiner and cut her hand off and mailed it. Was this common practice or is this just what our people did down here? I don't know. They mailed it to a more advanced lab. In, I'm sorry, they said they forwarded it, which back then would be mailed it. So imagine just being like a mail carrier. And what if that package accidentally opened? I know, and Cousin and cousin Thing just yeah. falls out and goes, oh! Oh my God! That's a hand! So it gets mailed to D.C. And they actually do have a hit because there was a woman who had been arrested for public intoxication. Yeah, yeah. And her name was Edith West. She was a 23-year-old from Coleman, Alabama, which is 500 miles away from where she was found. So the detectives are like, okay, what the hell is she doing here? Like, how did she end up here in our swamp? She's not a local. They tracked down her family, who is her dad, JW, and her stepmom, Carol. And at the time, Edith's brother was 12 years old. And he gives interviews in in the documentary. But he talks like this, so I couldn't really understand a whole lot of what he was saying. Because oh, it gotta, was just so low. We got to put the subtitles on. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I can't watch these documentaries without subtitles. I know, because they say things that I'm like, what? I know. What they say? I know, exactly. Yeah. Even if you're from here, sometimes you need like the, the subtitles. Right. <laughs> and sometimes you have to like make sure you really heard that they yeah. said they were going to cut her arm off. Yeah. Her that, hand off. I, I can't, I still can't believe that. So Edith was the oldest of eight children. And when she was very young, her mother left. When she was 10 years old, her dad remarried to her stepmom, Carol. And Carol stepped into that motherly role. They became very close. I mean, Carol and Edith were mother-daughter, even though she didn't give birth to her. Their second home was church. And I just want to say this. We are Christian women, so we're not like knocking anything Christian. But there are some very over the top. You can't watch anything Disney because <laughs> it's, oh, yeah. it's witchcraft. Yeah. You know, I mean, like there's that type. And if you're that type, I'm not apologizing, but like it's fake. Mm-hmm. It's okay to explain to your kids. It's not real. <laughs> it's not real. You can use your imagination. Like Harry, there's no Hogwarts. Oh, you know? I do, I, when I was student teaching, there was a, a kid at recess who would spend his entire recess reading the Harry Potter books oh. because his mom wouldn't allow him to read about witchcraft at home. I mean, to me, it's like if you teach your kids, it's was, not real. Well, and that's the thing. Like, it's a, it's a form of art. You know, you're just... Right. You can... You can watch something or, or without having to accept it or believe in it. Yeah. Know? Or like think that you're going to be able to become yeah. a witch yourself and yeah. pursue demonic. I mean, it's just exactly. pretend. I'm not, it, look, if I could get a witch's wand, I would get oh, one. I know. But, I, you know, it's not real. And do like the fairies did and oh sleep gosh, in beauty yes. and just like oh, clean up gosh. the house. Look, my dream is to have like forest animals be my friends and I know. just like clean up after me. Yeah. And just go, oh. <laughs> 
that and then the birds fly exactly up. like in yeah. cinderella how the birds like they make her bed and like, mm-hmm. you know they yeah. make her dress i'm like that is my dream exactly animals and someone cleaning up after me <laughs> but let me tell you people who won't let your kids watch that it's not real it's not real that doesn't actually happen right and it's okay to pretend like it's real but we all know it's not you know so they were this type of family mm-hmm. like just very i gotcha over the top yes and I mean, you know, you have a lot of kids that grow up and they're perfectly fine mm-hmm. when they're raised super strict Christian. You know, our kids are raised Christian, mm-hmm. but we do like to go to Disney. Let's be honest. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yes. I love when people boycott Disney, honestly, because that frees up the lines. Yeah. The lines are going to be shorter for me. Right. And I understand why they're boycotting. Don't get me wrong. I, I ain't sitting here saying I'm knocking them, but you know, I'm still going to go. does open up the lines a little bit. I'm not, you know? I'm not complaining about it. Right. At 16... Edith goes from being like someone who sang in the choir to someone who just completely rebelled. And she started sneaking out of her house, getting caught, and they'd say like, where have you been? And she would never tell them. And so after a while, they decided that they felt like she, her behavior was just out of their pay grade. Mm -hmm. So they sent her to, it was a group home that was run by their priest or their preacher. Mm-hmm. And the preacher was like, you are a bad influence. Like instead of the, the other girls influence you to come more towards God, oh, no. you have influenced these girls to sneak out. Oh no. Yes. And so she got kicked out of the group home and, and so she was 17 years old, but she didn't go home. She disappeared for like months. So he just kicked her out on yeah. her own. Like, uh-huh. I wonder if he even told the parents. Like, I'm hey, sure you he should did. probably come get her. Right. And remember, this is like 1980. Yeah. So like, you know, I mean, we didn't have cell phones. I'm True. sure he figured she was going to go home, but he's probably so outdone with her by then. Because in the like, get out in I the reenactment, care. he's like, I'm going to pray for you, you know, so. <laughs> She leaves and she disappears. And so they're trying to find her, but you can't find people in 1980. There's not cell phones. There's not. Gosh, I mean, it's so easy to disappear back then. Back then. I know. And so one day, again, she's 17 and she shows up on her parents' doorstep and she has a new boyfriend. Uh Uh-oh. He is sitting on a motorcycle. Mm. And he's described as like every cliche motorcycle. He had the grizzly beard and he had, you know, the one earring. I he bet had her the... parents were horrified. Her oh, I'm sure they were dying. going Christian parents were horrified. Well, we find out that uh, his name is Archie West, a.k.a. Possum. What? Um, <laughs> he was. Awesome. Yeah. Wait, what's his name? And look, possum? in the subtitles, it wasn't spelled like opossum. Yeah. It was just spelled possum. Of course. Yeah. Wait, so did they show a picture of him of who he actually is? No, they. Sh- it was a reenactment. Okay, and I'm the just guy why on Earth, he's called possum. No, they don't explain that. I'm very curious to know why he was called possum, <laughs> except for when, like, maybe that's not like like being called tiger. I know or did lion. He, like, did he just play dead? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> he might as well have been the like the goat that faints, you know, fainting goat. Yeah. Well, we learned that he is a 21 year old biker, <laughs> and in describing him, they're like, he's a 21 year old biker with no job. <laughs> great aka he's a winner the possum and so we get a little history about bikers back in the 1980s like they basically were gypsies they just rode from town to town finding jobs where they could and just doing what they could to make enough money to move on to the next place it turned out that like all of those months that edith had been missing she was spending her time in biker bars 
And that's when she met Archie. And she decided that that life was for her. She wanted that gypsy life where she was on the back of a hog and like her hair blowing in the wind. And she's going from podunk town to podunk town. Sounds awful to me. I know. I'm like, that's terrible. Like, what do you decorate? You don't have a house. People say the wind in your hair, but that just leads to tangles. I know. And, you know, I rode a motorcycle with my ex-husband. That was the most excruciatingly terrifying 30 minutes of my life. Don't know that because I've never ridden a motorcycle and I I don't want to because I'm just afraid we'll fall over and right and I die. Will die yeah but you know you got the helmet on so <sighs> even still like I don't even like nicking mm. myself when I cut myself like shaving and stuff right. like imagine you like going like skin. sixty miles an hour on the interstate and rolling and over exactly zero appeal to awful. me when Edith turned eighteen her and Archie they just disappeared we learned that Archie was the leader of his little biker gang. <laughs> The gang, like I said, lived this gypsy lifestyle. And for over six years, Edith Edith just tagged along with Archie and his gang bouncing from town to town. And her family had no idea where she was. You know, they speak to Carol, who has this really high-pitched voice (laughs) in very Alabama. And I'm not making fun of her, but I am. Because it's just... (laughs) She's like, all we could do was accept it. And I said, honey, I will pray for you. When a Southern woman says, I'll pray for you, that's basically saying you yeah that's their way of when, if you hear me say i'll pray for you mm-hmm. like i'm bless not your gonna heart. like it's i'm not, not gonna like, pray for you exactly like when you say bless your heart like that's not a good thing yeah i'm judging you yeah it means you're Harshly. stupid yeah you're an idiot just a little heads up for those you don't know that <laughs> if someone says that that's if not they're from if nice. they're from the south and they tell you that it's not a compliment no i'm not praying for you you know so one day edith showed up at her parents house and she tells them that her and archie got married And, of course, they're like, well, honey, why you didn't tell us? (laughs) And... And she's like, I haven't seen y'all in six years. I figured, you know, y'all figured something would come up with it. You think she could at least send a postcard? I know. That poor little brother. He was like, where did she go? I had a sister at one point. Did she die? But so she tells her parents that they were going to head down to Houma, Louisiana, because at the time the oil field was really Mm -hmm. booming and there was a lot of jobs down there. And and of course, uh, Carol's like. Edith Ann, you ain't got no business going down to 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 Louisiana. You just gonna get in trouble. You just gonna die. <laughs> yeah. When she uses the middle name, you know she means business, right? And I thought Edith Ann, that's cute. That is actually really cute. Yeah. And Edith did leave her mom with a pair of earrings, and um, and that's the la- that's really like one of the last. T- they did see her again once, but that was one of the last times they really had a conversation with her. And so now detectives know how she ended up in Louisiana, but the question is. Why was she murdered? So they learned that Archie's crew hung out at a bike shop in Homa. It was a Harley Davidson bike shop, but it was owned by a guy named Mike Brown, who was a mechanic. And Mike wasn't just friends with like Archie and his gang. He was really friends with all the gangs because he was like one of the few mechanics in town. Mm-hmm. So people would just, con- he was friends with everybody. They would constantly go to him. And Edith was at the shop all the time. She was a very pretty girl, but she was Archie's girl. So she was the queen of his gang. Oh, okay. You don't mess with the queen of his gang. Well, the original plan of working in the oil field it just kind of fell through because the guys didn't realize like you have to put a resume together and like turn it in yeah you don't just show up and go hey i want to make some money yeah send me to the oil rigs with no experience (laughs) i was like you you might have to have some kind of training right right or even know somebody or they might actually need to be hiring at the time you know and so 
a couple of the guys got a job at the local concrete plant, whereas the rest of them kind of just did odd and ends jobs. Some of them got into some illegal stuff. And Edith worked as a bartender throughout the Homa area and all the way up into New Orleans. Mm -hmm. She would just do it as she, you know, they'd call her and say, hey, we need a bartender. And then Archie turned to petty crime because he wasn't interested in working no concrete plant. Oh, dear. That's what he said. He would steal various items and he would sell them for cash. This became a problem for Edith. uh, And she... It, it really started to show on their marriage because number one, they didn't have any money. Number two, they're running from the law because he's stealing yeah. crap. Knowing that this had an issue, this was starting to pose a problem with their marriage. You know, sometimes she would just go back home in Alabama and just to kind of get a break from it all. At the end of the summer of 1980, Edith showed up at her parents. She was not with Archie. And this time she was like far different. But this is where I just think her parents are kind of stupid because she's completely drunk and disoriented. So they call the cops on her. Uh-oh. And then the next morning they bail her out. Oh. Like, why'd what? you call the cops on her? Yeah. You just wasted a bunch of bail money. <laughs> Like, that just sounds crazy. She was arrested for public uh, drunkenness and drugs. She had some drugs on her. And once she got out of jail, she told the family that Archie and her had been running from the law. And she just wanted to get out of that life. Mm -hmm. So detectives now know what happened leading up to Edith's death. And Archie was found in October of 1980. So remember, she was found in September. He was actually in a New Orleans jail. And he had been in that jail since August. Oh. Someone had turned him in. Okay. And he got arrested. So we know now that he, there's no way possible he could have killed her. Mm-hmm. But was he still involved in yeah, some want, kind like, of way? Like, did he like tell somebody to did go? Did he have it ordered or yeah. something? Yeah. So Archie tells police that he hadn't heard from Edith in a long time, even leading up to, like she had left him long before his arrest. Mm-hmm. Um, And they hadn't spoken or anything. He didn't know anything about her murder. And ultimately police just can find no evidence tying him to Edith, Edith's murder. I mean, he's been locked up mm-hmm. for some time. He does offer up four names. It's the men that, that were in his, his little biker gang and their names are uh, Ricky Brown, Michael Burnett, Randy Buckaloo and James Hines. These men, were all best friends they were all from Alabama um they all followed Archie's gang and detectives put the four men's names in the local newspaper and a tip leads them to a trailer outside of Homa Louisiana so they go there and they track them down and they tell police that they saw Edith on September 22nd, which is five days before she was found. It was a Monday night. And she came over because she wanted some of her possessions. And one of the guys that was there had Archie's truck and some of her possessions were in Archie's truck. Okay. And they tell her like, well, we're not gonna let you just go in his truck w- until we talk to Archie. So she agrees just to hang out with them until Archie calls because apparently I guess he would call them from jail and they wanted Archie to say, Hey, it's okay if she goes in my truck and takes her things. Right. They start partying, they get drunk and this is the story that they tell. So they say that Michael Burnett ended up leaving at some point between, between six and 10 PM on that Monday night. He says that he gave his work an excuse that he had an Alabama court date the next day mm-hmm. so he went he left and then ricky brown says that he also left sometime that night but nobody could verify either of these claims right. they had no idea edith fell asleep on the couch and the next morning james and randy the other two guys that lived there they got up and they left for work around six to go to the concrete plant she was still there when they got home that afternoon she was gone it was verified that james and randy who went to the concrete 
plant, they did go into work and they were at work all day. So the two of them are kind of cleared. So once they kind of go through and they say, okay, we can't verify Ricky and Michael's story. The other two are fine. Let's go back and let's have a second interview. And when they go to the trailer, they're all gone. It's cleared out. Uh Uh-oh. And therein lies the problem because back then, if you wanted to disappear, you could. Right. There's no way to find you. So with no other leads, the case just goes cold. And it's cold for 20 years. So in 2000, Carol, who is Edith's stepmom, she gets a phone call from an anonymous woman. And she says, look, my sister's name is Vicki Brown. And she has information regarding Edith's death. And so Vicki tells her, like, look, we need to contact the police in Louisiana. And you need to tell them what you know. So the woman did just that. She tells the police information that the police had not released. Mm -hmm. And so they said, okay, this is a legitimate claim. But Vicky also lived that gypsy lifestyle. She lived by the code of the bikers. So they couldn't find her anywhere. Oh. So it kind of forces them to put it back on hold again. Yeah. And this is the before the time of like Facebook. Well, and I wonder what her reasoning was. Like, why call with a tip if you're just going to leave it at that? Like, not follow through with it. No, no, no. This was Vicky's sister that called. Oh, okay. I gotcha. Yeah. Because Vicky told her sister and her sister contacted. I gotcha. Okay. Yeah. And so, but even the sisters say, look, she comes in a, into our lives from time. She just mm-hmm. shows up and then she leaves because she lives this lifestyle. Right. And that's just so they couldn't find her. A year later, the detectives get another phone call from an attorney. And it's the attorney of a guy named Mike Brown. No relation to Vicki Brown. Mm -hmm. Mike Brown is the one who he owned that bike shop that everybody would hang out at. Yes. Mike was in jail because he was selling drugs. And it looked like he had a really long stint in prison. Mm -hmm. And he told his attorney, look, I've got information on Edith West's death. If I turn this information over, would they maybe give me a deal? And so the police come in and they talk to him. And he tells them that about 15 years after the murder, him and Ricky Brown were going on a trip to Florida. He confessed to him that him and Michael Burnett were responsible for Edith's death. What? Yes. But again... They can't track down Ricky or Vicky. <laughs> so it gets put back on the cold case files again for nine more years. So in 2009, almost 30 years after her murder, there's a newer lieutenant that comes in and he specifically decides to pull out some cold cases. One of them was the murder of Edith West. At this point, 2009, it's kind of easier to track some people down. So he decided to track down Archie Archie and his gang. Mm-hmm. Archie died. Michael Burnett died. There's no records of Ricky Brown. So that means he was probably still alive. And the lieutenant was actually able to find the number to Vicki Brown. Oh. She was living in Kentucky. And he calls. He introduces himself. He says who she is. And she says, well... I've been waiting on this phone call. And she tells him that she was living in Homa in 1980. And she remembers seeing in the newspaper about Edith the same week that the news broke of the murder. She happened to meet Ricky Brown Mm -hmm. in a bar and they started a relationship. They began dating. And right after the police came and talked to him, he told Vicky that he helped commit the murder. And this bitch still went and married him. Oh, like if everything was a red flag, it's when a guy says, I helped commit a murder. You know, like (laughs) he's not the guy for you. I hate to tell you. Yeah. But she lived by the biker code and she just decided not to say anything. But now the police were at her door and she said, I'll talk. So in September 1980, 
Edith did come to the trailer to get her belongings out of Archie's truck. She agreed to wait until they heard from Archie. The group started drinking and Edith got very drunk and she confessed that she was the one that turned (gasps) Archie into the police. Which in the biker code, that is a big fat no-no. Snitches get stitches. Exactly. Oh no. So they party throughout the night. She falls asleep on the couch. James and Randy did get up and go to work. Mm -hmm. They really didn't have anything to do with it. Ricky and Michael come back to the trailer And while she's sleeping, they pull her off the couch. They bind her with ties and throw her in the trunk. And they bring her out to the bayou in Dulac. Ricky, supposedly, according to Vicky, thought they were just going to scare her Mm -hmm. into like maybe saying something to say she made it up to get Archie out. But when they get out there, Michael says, well, we've gone too far. We have to finish this. And that's when he puts that thing around her neck, Mm -hmm. the nylon cord, and then he wraps the other into a cinder block. And the dumbass just throws it out into the swamp. And it doesn't go very far and he throws her in there and she literally stands up. She's screaming (laughs) and she starts walking to the shore. He did it like four times. Are you serious? Yes. And so after the fourth time, according to Ricky, she just gave up and got on her knees and started praying. And he went out there and he strangled, not Ricky, Michael went out there and and he strangled her. Mm -hmm. And then he dumped her body. He kind of pushed her body down. Goodness Um, gracious. Yes. Yeah. I'm like, I just picture him throwing it and go, it didn't sink. (laughs) God damn it. I told you to do it better than that. She's walking towards the shore again. (laughs) Just so stupid. Just so stupid. Four times. Yeah. Oh my God. Like you don't realize like, okay, it's not deep there. Yeah. So maybe they're not the brightest crayons in the box. Right. It's not deep there either. Yeah. Maybe over here. Yeah. Nope, not there either. So she did suffer a very grisly death and it took 30 years to solve to solve her murder. But like I said, Michael's dead. They did arrest Ricky Brown, who they say was like in his 50s. And you mm-hmm. see a picture of him. He looks like he's 80. He oh, looks terrible. Yeah, he's lived the hard lifestyle. Absolutely. Um, He was arrested for second degree murder in February of 2012. And it hinged on the testimonies of Vicky Brown. And then James Hines, one of the roommates, apparently he gave some sort of statement. Mm-hmm. along with Mike Brown. And after a three-hour deliberation, he was found guilty of second-degree murder, which is an automatic life sentence in Louisiana, mm-hmm. like without the possibility of parole. Mm-hmm. So he'll die in prison. And that's the story of Miss Edith. It's a pretty sad story. It is sad. I didn't realize that family. biker gangs were that awful, but... I, I mean, I yeah. I don't know any biker gangs, I so either. I can't attest to it, you know? I know. Not at all. But so that's this week's story. Um, We do plan on doing the one about, is it Coachy Smith? But Mm -hmm. what I've learned is... A season of it. It's a whole season of it on the killing fields. Yes. Because I guess they wanted to do a second season, but they had exhausted everything about Eugene Boisfontaine. So (laughs) there was another case that became active. It's very interesting. So I'm just trying to get those notes together for that one. So we'll be doing that one at some point. How many episodes is it? I don't know. I'm going to have to look. Okay. I didn't look. But so I just want to let everyone know we're going to, hadn't even discussed this with you. We'll probably take the last week of Christmas off Mm -hmm. just to take a break, you know, and um, we're going to have, this episode's going to release Monday. We'll do the Monday after. And then the last Monday of the month, we're going to, we're not going to have an episode. We're just going to take a break. Mm -hmm. And then starting January, we're going to revamp and get everything going again. We'll have um, episodes every Mondays. We're going to start a Patreon. Yeah. 
we're I know we've been talking together. about it for a while, but we're actually going to do it. Yeah. <laughs> and then some exciting news. My cousin Peyton and I are going to start a podcast where we recap reality TV. Yeah, that's going to be so fun. It is. And we're starting with Life After Lockup, yeah. which starts December 16th. So Tate, we'll, we'll do a little promo for that. It's going to be um, Break From Reality with Casey and Peyton. I love it. So, I love yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to have, and Sarah's going to come in. From I'll, time be a, to time. I'll be a guest host occasionally. If you ever oh, cover yeah. like Sister Wives or, or something like that, 90 Day Fiance, I'm, I'm Oh, down. we're definitely going to cover 90 Day Fiance. That's one of my favorites. I know. So we're <laughs> going to cover that for sure. I'm going to see when the next season starts up. Yeah. So we'll be covering that too. So a lot to come next year. Hopefully we'll be able to provide a lot more material for you all. Yeah. Because we love doing this. We really so do. It is fun. But, well, if no more announcements, do you have anything? Nope, we're good. Okay, well, we'll see y'all next week. Bye, guys. <laughs>